Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message. We are going to go into our series, and we are, we've been in a series for the last couple of weeks of living life, and I know some of y'all have gotten a, it's a little tired of hearing Paul rant um, for the first three chapters of the book, ranting about um, people uh, defecting away from their belief in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and his, and the, and, and the, um, the word that I want to use, I'm trying to grab it, the, the, I'm sorry, talk back to him. He said hypocrisy, uh, the, the completeness of his sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, what it provided for us um, was freedom from the law. Christ became sin. The Bible says that he that knew no sin became sin um, and he died in our place for our space in the kingdom. He died in our place for our space in the kingdom. And so uh, we're continuing on with this series, but I'm gonna take a little bit of a, of a turn and when I was doing my study we're in chapter we're in the fourth chapter now and um, this is uh, kind of an interesting chapter and and what I'm gonna do today is a, is a lot of cross-referencing so y'all gonna get a lot of scripture for all of y'all that are paper Bible saved if you brought your Bible if you if you have your iPhone um, or you got your Android uh, blessings to you um, if you, if you have your Bible, um, we're going to start in the book of, of Galatians 4, and we're going to work our way back to the book of Genesis. We are in the Genesis year, so we got to find a way to roll it back to Genesis because what you'll find in, in, in the book of Galatians, that there are a couple of references that are being made to Abraham, or being made to Abraham, and why Abraham? Because Abraham is considered to be the father of, of faith the father of faith. So we can't talk about faith without talking about Abraham because that's the first example of faith that we see in the Bible. So what we're going to do today is start off in Galatians 4 and I'm not going to labor really too long there much to, to a lot of y'all disappointment. So if you are just like an old, you just like, I can't stand the Old Testament, um, you New Testament apostolic, uh, uh, you know, sorry. All right. So I'm going to be reading out of the Amplified Bible because I like the Amplified Bible, even though I do believe that the Amplified Bible is wordy, um, but it's helpful um, in getting the message across. So we're going to start off in Galatians, the fourth chapter and verse number 21, verse number 21. So we're going to bypass a lot of what Paul is talking about, just kind of continuing off of what he was talking about last week in chapter, what we're talking about in chapter three, and just the insistence of these Galatians, people at the church of Galatia, their insistence that they they follow the law. What had happened in Galatia was that there were some people that had come from the Jerusalem church that were trying to convince those that were in Galatia, the Galatians, that what they had to do in order to be saved was that they needed to still participate in the practice of the ceremonial law. We know that the sacrifice of cross eliminated the ceremonial law. So we don't follow the ceremonial law, all the sacrifice of that, because what would y'all do if y'all came in here this morning and we had a bunch of cows and bullocks and doves and blood all spread, spread over this altar? I don't know what y'all, I don't know, I know what I would do. 
uh, but I don't know what y'all would do. But we, we know that that's been done away with. God is not calling us to, to drag our animals, drag our, our donkeys and some of y'all, your fish and your lobsters and stuff to the altar. He's not calling you to do that. Um, and so, but there were these people that were telling the, the Galatians that in order for them to be saved, they, it's not that they didn't believe in Jesus Christ, but they said, and adding to what he did, that there was, that you still needed to follow the ceremonial law. And so, Paul spends the first part of the fourth chapter just kind of uh, talking about um, asking them, really, do you, do you understand what that means? Are you willingly bringing yourself un, up under this curse because you want to be a part of this system that is still linked to something that God has eliminated by the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ? So verse 21 starts off, it says, tell me, you who are bent on being under the law, Will you listen to what the law really says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondmaid and one by the free woman. But whereas the child of the slave woman was born according to the flesh and had an ordinary birth, the son of the free woman was born in fulfillment of promise. Now, this is an allegory. These two women represent two covenants. One covenant originated from Mount Sinai, where the law was given and bears children destined for slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to and belongs in the same category with the present Jerusalem, for she is in bondage together with her children. But the Jerusalem above the Messianic kingdom of Christ is free, and she is our mother. For it is written in the scriptures, rejoice, O barren woman, who has not given birth to children, break forth into a joyful shout, you who are not feeling birth pains, for the desolate woman has many more children than she who has a husband. But we brethren are not, we, we brethren are children, not by physical descent, as was Ishmael, but like Isaac, born in virtue of promise, born in virtue of promise. Yet just as that time, at that time, the child of ordinary birth born according to the flesh despised and persecuted him who was born remarkably according to the promise and the working of the Holy Spirit. So is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out and send away the slave woman and her son for never shall the son of the slave woman be heir and share the inheritance with the son of the free woman. So brethren, we who are born again are not children of a slave woman, the natural, but of the free, the supernatural. So Paul has made clear that, and as we're in this series, Living, law, living Life, I'm talking about living law, Lord help us. Living life, living life, as opposed to living in law. Living life as God has called us to live does not require us to follow the law, but it does require us to follow a way. It requires us to follow a way. Um, one of the misnomers, and I think one of the things that scares people when we start talking about this whole concept of grace and when we start talking about that being separate from the law, is that people are afraid that when you mention grace and that when you say that God has given us grace, that that means that we can live recklessly and we can live life however we want to live, that we can do whatever we want to do and there's no penalty for it. That's furthest from the truth. If you have a true understanding of, if you have a true understanding of, of 
of what Christ did when he died on the cross is that he eliminated the ceremonial law. There was the ceremonial law and then there was the moral law of God. And Christ makes clear in the scripture that, he, that, Christ was, that God was not going to do away with the moral law. Meaning what you know as the Ten Commandments, which are the moral requirements that you shall not have any other God before him, that you shall not commit adultery. That he didn't do away with any of that. How many know that? How many didn't know that? Uh, okay, I hope, we all, I hope we all understood that in here. So he did not do away with the moral law, but he did away with the ceremonial requirements of the law. Now, in order for us to live the life that God has called us to live, it requires us to follow a way. It requires us to follow his way. Uh, Paul uses um, what is referred to an allegory here in verse, in verse number... I don't even know what verse it is, Lord help. Um, it says, now all this is an allegory. These two women represent two covenants. Now, Paul uses what is referred to an allegory here, which by definition, an allegory is a, is a story, whether it's fictional or not, it is a story that has a hidden meaning. Well, we know that that can't be true because there's nothing in scripture that has a hidden meaning. If, if, if he's using the story of Abraham as a, as a, more so as an illustration in this passage, and the error that we have here in, in the scripture is that when this was, tran this, this was transliterated into English as allegory, where the Greek word really by definition is meaning that this was more of an illustration, meaning that he was pointing back to something um, in, the, in the Old Testament. So it was an actual story that we find in Genesis, and Paul uses this story to illustrate not only to convey the truth, but to give contrast between law and grace. So we're first introduced to Abraham in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, we're introduced to Abraham around the 11th, around the 11th chapter, we're introduced as they're giving this lineage. Now, I don't know about any of y'all, but when I'm reading the Bible, especially when I'm reading in Genesis, I do not like reading those chapters of the Bible where it's talking about lineages. I just, I don't, I just don't get it. I don't follow it. I'm, it's like all they sons and, and Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. And I'm, I mean, just, you know, <laughs> simplify the word somehow for me. I just need something simple and broke down. And so um, at the end of that, in chapter, in chapter 11, at the end of that book, um, it, Moses is the author of the book. So that we can, we don't, I don't think many people can test that Moses wrote the, wrote the Old Testament, that he wrote the Old Testament. He wrote the Pentateuch. He wrote the book of Genesis, and as he is describing the sons of Terah, because Abram, at the time, Abram was the son of Terah, he, he delineates a certain, in a certain portion of Scripture and gives us a, a detail that seems very random in that book of the Bible. In verse number 30, in chapter 11, he says, But Sarai, her name was at the time, Sarai, was barren. She had no child. Sarai was barren, she had no child. Now, this might seem like a fairly insignificant detail, but we find that this serves as the backdrop against um, the story of Abraham that's going to unfold in the chapters that we're going to read. So we're going to go a little bit through chapter 12, a little bit in chapter 15, and maybe 16 to 17. But 
it's important, this is an important detail, even though it might seem very minor, in that short little verse, that it gives us that detail that Sarai was barren and she had no child. In order to understand why this was important was because in ancient, in ancient Near Eastern culture, if a woman if a woman was barren, she was largely considered to be cursed by God or by some deity you believed in, because a woman was it was not seen as something that's physiological. Because we understand now that if a woman cannot bear a child, that there are there might be issues with fertilization. There are things that might be able to that might prevent her from being able to bear a child. But they didn't have this understanding in the ancient Near East. They they it was pretty black and white. It was the woman was a container. She was the man made a deposit in the woman. The woman was supposed to bear a child. And if the woman couldn't bear a child, then it must be something wrong with her. She cursed. You were cursed if you could not bear a child. That not only had societal implications, it, 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 it had marital implications. A man could divorce his wife if she, was, if she was infertile and go find somebody else to, to bear children with if she was infertile. So the man was, somebody said, okay, Lord. <laughs> Y'all pray. Y'all pray. Y'all pray. So it was seen as, as, you know, it was interpreted that if a woman could not bear a child, that she somehow had angered this deity or God and, who had then cursed her so that she was not able to, to bear a child. So this, this, this was more than, you know, what we might look at somebody just having some issues. This was traumatic. You know, if a woman, this was everything, you know, because in the ancient Near East, your, your seed was seen as, as, as preserving your, your posterity, as pervert, pres, preserving your legacy. And so if a person couldn't bear a child, um, it, really was, it really was detrimental um, to, to their identity. Now, as I said before, this is a minor detail and it provides a, a, a backdrop against the story that we understand going into chapter 12. And in chapter 12, starting at verse number one, it says, now in, in Haran, Haran is where, where Abram, Abram resided, the Lord said to Abram, go for yourself for your own advantage away from your country, away from your country, from your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and, all, and I will bless you with abundant increase of favors and make your name famous and distinguished and you will be a blessing dispensing good to others and I will bless those who bless you who confer prosperity or happiness upon you and curse him who curses or uses insolent language towards you and in you will all the families and kindred of the earth be blessed and by you they will bless themselves this is a very very interesting uh passage of scripture because as I explained to you in the in the ancient Near East um, identity was a was a very big thing who you who your family who you were a part of that was a part of major part of your identity and we see here that God calls Abraham away from everything that he was identified with he called him away from everything that gave him some type of a definition, that gave him some type of a, of a security. God calls him away from that and tells him to come out of that. And then he says something even more interesting and even borderline puzzling to me because I don't even know how Abraham followed this. 
He said, come out of all of that from your father's house, out of your country, from your kindred. And he says, to go to a place that I'm going to show you. Meaning that he didn't even tell him where he was going. Now, how many of you, if God told you to follow me and go somewhere, I'm going to show you where, but I ain't telling you where. How many of you honestly would say, I'm going to follow him? Nobody. They said just a little bit, it'd be just a little bit of a problem, but I don't know that I could have said, all right, God, I'm just going to pack up and go. This is why we say that Abram is, is, the, is the ultimate example of faith because he operated based on an instruction when he did not know where he was going. He didn't know where God was taking him. God simply said to him, go from your father's house, come out of that, come from your family, from your kindred, and go to a place that I'm going to show you. So Abraham literally, literally journeyed with God. Absent instruction. Absent instruction on where he was going. He had to trust God. So God says, I'm going to call you out of everything that gave you a sense of identity and security in exchange for a new identity. Because then he promises him, he says, I will make of you a great nation. And notice the comparison there. I'm calling you out of a country and I'm going to make a great nation. I'm calling you from your family and I'm going to bless the whole earth through you. God didn't just call him, from, call him to take him to the same thing. It wasn't a lateral move. God called him literally to expand him. And to make something greater than where he was. God called him out of that. So God called him out to give him a new sense of identity that could only come from him. And Abram had to trust him with his future. Trust him with everything even when he didn't know where he was going. Even when he didn't know what that was going to entail on the way there. On the in-between, he trusted, he trusted God. He trusted God. So God gave, God gave Abraham a promise. And in case y'all are wondering what the, what the title of this sermon is, it's, it's called Living Life, Trusting the Process. Trusting, trusting, trusting the process. Declaration, a promise is a declaration by one person to another that something will or will not be done, giving the person to whom it is made the right to expect the performance of whatever has been specified. It is, a, it is a declaration made by one person to another that gives that person to whom it is given the right to expect a performance. So there's a couple of key things we have to, we have to point out here. A promise is unilateral. It's unilateral. Now, most contracts that you guys know of are bilateral contracts, meaning that there are two parties that have to agree to this contract. The promise did not require Abram's agreement. The promise was spoken by God and given to Abram, irregardless of whether Abram agreed with it or not. The requirement was not his agreement. So the second point is the obligation to perform rests only on one party. God promised it and God is obligated to perform it. God is obligated to perform 
that which he has promised. This all is linked to what's going on in Galatians 4 and what he's trying to explain and what we've been talking about. Because when God gives you a promise, when God has called you and saved you, it was not predicated on anything that you did. It was not based on anything that you did. His, his sovereign choice of you, we talk about this in Discovery, amen? His sovereign choice of you was made based upon his own decision. He didn't consult anybody. He didn't consult your past. He didn't consult your present. He didn't consult Satan. He didn't consult anybody when he decided to choose you. Now, a lot of people have a problem understanding. I say this all the time. If you've been in discovery, then you understand. <laughs> you understand that. I find it funny that people have a problem with the fact that God has a choice. You have a choice. You had a choice if you was going to get up this morning and come to church. You had a choice of what you was going to put on to go to church. You had a choice of where you was going to sit even if the usher told you to sit in the middle aisle. You had a choice about where you sat when you came in church, you have a choice about who you sit next to. You have a choice about the person that you choose to befriend. You have a choice about the person that you choose to marry. And yet you have a problem with the fact that God has a choice of who he's going to save. Just saying. God had a choice of us. So what's humbling, what's humbling about this? This is, that's humbling to me. I don't know how that feels to you, but the fact that if God had to, if God handpicked me yeah. out of everybody else in the world and he, he specifically pointed me out and chose me and said, I'm going to save him. I'm going to give my promise to him. What kind of praise and thanks does God deserve because of that? Yes. And he said, I'm going to give my life for you. He took a whooping for the whole world. Yeah. Christ got a whooping for all of us. A serious beat down too. It, it wasn't. It wasn't like you know. You know, years back when they used to show about the crucifixion, I was passionate of the Christ whooping. That was passionate. A passionate of Christ whooping that he got for all of us. But he did that so that we could be a part of, and that we can be engrafted into the family of God. That should make you thankful. That should be the basis of which you give praise and honor to God because you realize that He chose you when He didn't have to. You didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. We got to get rid of that thought. You did not deserve it. I don't care how good you think you are. You did not deserve it. I don't care how many commandments you kept. You did not deserve it. I don't care how many people you ate slept with. You did not deserve it. <laughs> you don't deserve it. The Bible says all of, all of what we consider to be right now, this is the Alan D. Blackman version. The scripture says our righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm going to translate that to say all that you think is right about yourself is filthy. Everything you perceive to be right about yourself is still dirty. There is not a single person in this room. I feel like I'm teaching discovery. All of us, all of us are sinners. We don't deserve it. You don't deserve God's grace. We're not any different than a person you sit next to, a person across the aisle for you. A person that lies, no different than a person that cheats. 
commits adultery. He didn't, he didn't make any, any distinction between one sin or the other. If you want to go deeper, since you think you're so perfect, because y'all say, I don't do none of that. They say, I'm glad I don't do. I'm, I'm more holy than all y'all. I don't do none of that. Jesus went, a, Jesus went a step further to say that even if you looked at a woman with lust in your thoughts, you are guilty of committing adultery. He addresses your thought life. He moves from your actions to your thought life because most of us think, I ain't did it. I didn't do it. At least I didn't do it. But when you really get closer to God, he's going to start dealing with you about what you think. He's going to establish your thought life. God will establish your thought life. So the promise is unilateral. The obligation to perform rests on God alone. He's the one that promised. He's the one that's obligated to perform. And our only obligation is to receive the promise in faith. Still means that you have something to do. Still means you have a responsibility not to be confused with. Now, y'all, I know some of y'all say, well, you just said, Reverend. You just said, I ain't got to do nothing. The work of God is the work of faith. When the people came to him and asked, what must I do that I do the works of the Lord? He said, believe in me. Believe in me. There's a work to be done. So if God is asking you to do something, he requires for there to be some action. Because even though you're saved by faith, the Bible also says that faith without works is what? Yeah. Is dead. Show me your, 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 your faith without any works. You can't show, say you have faith in God and there's no works that follow. You can't say that you have faith in God and there's no fruit that follows. You should be fruitful. You should be producing. You should be doing something. So the next verse um, the next verse starts saying that Abraham departed. We said he literally began and he went on a journey with God. He began a journey in faith. Now, one of the things that Abraham is admired for in the scripture is his faith. And we say Abraham was so strong in faith because we read that first part where God, asked, God caused him to move from everything that he knew and to go somewhere. And Abraham left and he went with him. But the part that we don't focus on in scripture is the other side of that because what is sometimes what is your strength is also the area where you're weak. It's also the area where God needs to perfect and develop you. So just because Abraham was strong in faith did not mean that he wasn't also weak in it. We saw his strength. But I'm going to outline to you where the weakness came, where the weakness came in his faith because even though he believed God to, to follow him there was a weakness in his faith so there's some primary challenges in the area of Abraham's faith that chapter 15 begins to open up in chapter 15 verses 1 through 6 I'm going to read it says after these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying fear not Abram I am your shield your abundant compensation and your reward shall be exceedingly great why did he say that to Abram if he wasn't fearful Except the fact that he was fearful. Except the fact that he had some concerns because if somebody called me to go somewhere and leave everything that I had to go follow him to the place that I didn't know where I was going, I'm going to be a little fearful to be honest because I don't know where I'm walking. I don't know what I'm going to encounter along the way. I'm going to be scared. So Abraham was fearful and God speaks to him. Now notice this, that 
all along the way that as Abraham has a moment, a human moment where he where he's frail in his faith that God always intervenes to assure him of what he's promising him. He says, fear not, Abram, I'm your shield, your your abundant compensation and your reward shall be exceedingly great. And Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm going on this from this world childless? The frustration of Abraham was the fact that he didn't have a child. In, in, in chapter 12, he says, I'm going to make a great nation of you and all the descendants of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And Abraham says, well, that's all fine and well. Appreciate what you're saying. But how, Sway? How? He says, how, how are you going? I, you're going to give this to me. I understand that, but I'm going on in this world childless. And he who shall be the owner and heir of my house is this steward, Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram continued, look, you've given me no child and a servant born in my house is my heir. The Lord assures him. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man shall not be your heir, but he who shall come from your body shall be your heir. Y'all see how Abram tried to work that out? I don't got no child. It's going to go to this servant of mine in my house. God says, no, it's going to come from your body. Do you know how old Abram was at this time? Who said that? Who read their Bible? <laughs> 75 years old. And the Lord said, you're going to bear a son. 75 years of age. Abram doesn't have a child. So he says, I don't have a child, but I got a plan for how this is going to work. You can use my servant here, and we can just get a child that way. Interjecting himself to the promise of God. Remember, when the promise of God is solely on God to perform it, not on you to do anything. I want you all to keep that in the back of your mind. The promise of God is solely on him to perform it, not on you to do anything. He who promised is faithful to perform. So he says, this man shall not be your heir, but, who, but he who shall come from your body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside his tent to the starlight and said, look now towards the heavens and count the stars. If you're able to number them, I can't. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he, Abram, believed in, trusted in, relied on, remained steadfast on the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. That sound familiar from last week? He believed God and God counted it to him as righteous. Believed God and he counted it to him uh, as righteous, being in right standings with God. So the only requirement that God ever had of Abram was that he simply believe. But that belief required him to act. So I believe, therefore I do. It required him to do something. So it wasn't just saying, okay, Lord, I believe, you know, singers, I believe, I believe, I believe, God, I believe. No, it required him to act and do something. Because you can't say that I believe God and I don't do nothing. I believe God and I don't move. Here's the problem with promise and also the necessity of faith. The problem with promise. The problem with promise is that you can't see it. 
How many of y'all think there's a promise that you can see? Anybody? If it came from God, you can't see it, right? You don't see it right now. In fact, sometimes what the problem is, what the problem is is that we're trying to apply faith, our faith, to something we need to develop our work ethic and discipline in. Let me run that back. The problem is sometimes that we're trying to apply our faith towards areas where we need to simply develop a work ethic and a discipline for. You don't need faith to improve your finances. You need a discipline. To improve your credit, you need a discipline. You want a job, get a work ethic. You don't need faith for that. You don't need faith for what you have the ability to do. And so sometimes we're applying our faith towards things that God gave us the ability to obtain if we had a work ethic. Some areas of your healing are, are, are dependent upon your ability to apply principles in order to obtain healing. Get a diet. Go exercise. Somebody said that part. That part. You don't apply faith. I saw a video on Facebook. I, I can't remember where I saw this. Happen. The woman just like hit her belly. Like it's just like your fat was just going to go away. She said, fat be gone. It was just supposed to disappear. Just go somewhere. And God was going to just take away your fat because you said it's going to be gone. I mean, you know, it's just like if somebody tried to hide, you know, close their eyes. Don't mean we can't see you. It's just like you can, you can close your eyes and think that you're skinny all you want to. You know, it's like. I still see. I still see you. So the 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 problem the problem with faith is that you can't always see it. God promises you something that you can't see. Often promises you something that seems very impossible. Something that you might feel that you have a limitation in. God is God is speaking towards a promise. When we're in, I keep talking about discovery. So you got to take discovery. <laughs> but with discovery, we talk about your spiritual gifts and assessments. We do assessments to, to help you find out what your spiritual gifts are. And one of the things that people find out in the discovery class is that they have gifts that they can absolutely agree with and say, yep, I know that's my gift. But then there's something in there and be like, I'm a pastor, apostle. I don't know. Uh, that part, I don't believe. Uh -uh. I'm not no pastor, no apostle. I don't got no desire to do that. But God is, God is, there's an area in all of our lives where we can't always see it, but God is trying to develop us in it. He's trying to get us, he's trying to get us to a place. So the problem with faith is that we can't always see it. By scriptural definition, I have scripture to support this. The Bible says, the, and this is more so speaking to the necessity of faith. And scripture says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. It is evidence of things I cannot see. You need faith to see things that cannot be seen. You need faith to believe what it is that God has spoken to you. It is belief, faith is the belief in things that have no tangible proof. No tangible proof. I can apply faith towards a healing. It has no proof. You're sitting in the hospital room on a ventilator you can apply your faith towards healing. It encouraged my heart 
the other week to see Brother Aubrey walk in here without an oxygen tank. You need faith to believe in things that you can't see. You say the doctors don't know what's going on. But God, we know God's a healer because he walked in here without an oxygen tank. And he walked in here today without an oxygen tank. You can't say God's not a healer. The problem we have with that sometimes is that, and this is, this is the primary problem that a lot of atheists will have, people that don't believe God. Because a lot of people rely on what, what they can understand through their logic. And so, because I can't take God and put him in this Petri dish and study him, put him under a microscope or plug him into an equation that every time he's going to do this this way, every time I ask for it, he's going to do this like this. And I can't believe that it's true. God doesn't always operate according to how we want him to operate. I mean, that's obvious. That's just, that's just something we have to come to terms with. There's some things you'll ask God for, and it don't matter how much you ask, how much you pray, how much you cry, he just ain't going to give it to you. That is where you have to learn to discern the will of God, what is the will of God for your life. So you need faith to obtain what God has promised you. You need faith for what he wants and not what you want. You need faith for what he wants, not for what you want. If you want something, you can work for it. When God wants something, he needs you to apply your faith towards it. There's some things I need you to apply your faith towards. I need you to put, God said, I need you to put your faith in me to do what seems impossible in you. And your obedience is an expression of that faith. Abram's obedience was an expression of his faith towards God because he moved on what God told him to do. God told him to come out of his, out of his country from his kindred and Abram moved on the promises of God. So his obedience was an expression of his faith. And I want to say this, it's okay to need reassurance. It's okay. You know, say, you know what, I'm struggling. I'm, I really, you know, I've been believing God for this and I just don't see it. I just don't see it happening. We see in the scripture that along the way at every step, God reaffirms and reassures Abram at least three or four times. And we'll read up by the time we get done today that God reaffirms the promise of what he said to him. We live based on his promises. Abraham believed God and he still needed reassurance. I can believe him and still need reassurance. I had a coworker come to me um, because he had just had a grandchild. And the grandchild immediately, I think after the child was born, was rushed to ICU, had some medical complications. He came and talked to me and said, um, you know, does it mean that I, I, that I don't have faith because I'm struggling, like I'm in between reality and, and what my faith says? And I said, not at all. You can be in both places at the same time. You having faith in God doesn't mean you're not going to have moments where you struggle, where you doubt, where you're fearful. And it just means it, it's a matter of allowing God to reassure you, reaffirm you. And, and that is what God is doing for a lot of you. That's what I sense that God is doing for a lot of you today, that he's reassuring you of his promise concerning your life. Now I'm going to talk about circumventing the process. Circumventing the process through something that my wife would call radical acceptance. Wife talks a lot. My wife is a clinical therapist, for those of y'all that don't know, for a nominal fee. 
My wife is a clinical therapist to the glory of God. Uh, Genesis 1 through 6 introduced us to this concept of circumventing, how you circumvent the process through radical acceptance. It says, verse 1, now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian. So this is, goes back to what Paul is talking about, because I'm still in Galatians, even if y'all don't think I am. I'm still there. Two places at the same time. Not omnipresent, but I'm my present, however y'all want to say it. Uh, now, Abram, Sarah, Sarah, Abram's wife, bare no children. She had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go, into, go in unto my maid. It may be. She wasn't even sure about it. She said, it may be. It may be that I obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened. What does that sound familiar? Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dealt 10 years, had dwelt 10 years in the land. Now, at this point, he was 75 when he left. How old is he now? He dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So she despised Sarah in her eyes. And she said, I have given, I've given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee, but Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand, do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fed, fled her face. So having reached the pinnacle of his frustration, pinnacle of their frustration at this point, Sarai seems to come to a place of radical acceptance with regard to the fact that God has not yet given her a child that God has kept her from conceiving a child. And she now suggests to Abram that he needs to go sleep with the handmaid because that's just how God is going to do it. Now, in the ancient Near East, this was not an uh, uh, outlandish idea because in those times, as I said before, they had options of divorcing a wife, of taking a second wife, or having concubines um, by which they could conceive. Sarah, uh, Hagar conceived, and it says in uh, Genesis 16 and 12, this was an interesting prophecy over this child, even though the Lord blessed this child. He speaks, the angel of the Lord speaks this word over the child and says, he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. It's interesting that you see now that all these years later, we're still dealing with Ishmael. We're still dealing with Abraham's lack of faith in God. And you see it in the Middle East. You see it in the Middle East conflict. Abraham's lack of faith. So there's some things I'm going to walk you through now in trusting the process and what that means as we close. Number one, trusting the process means that we surrender our time frames. 
You trust the process, you surrender your time frame. When you trust the process, you surrender your methods. You trust the process by sub surrendering your methods. And you trust the process by surrendering your reputation, even your identity. I want everybody to stand up now. I want everybody to stand right now. And we're just going to make some, some declarations in this moment. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. I know the thoughts I think towards you. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And so I want you guys, we're going to put some declarations up here on, on the screen. And I want you guys to, to confess this and speak this over your life. Number one, the Lord's plan is to prosper me and I shall never lack any good thing. Say that. Go ahead with the next one. God has given me an expected end and I will live in pursuit of it. Number three. The Lord has given me an expected end therefore I will not go through life ignorant of his plan concerning me. Number four, the Lord has given me an expected end, and I will know it. I will not wander in the dark, unaware of what God is doing or what he is saying. And the last one, God is Abba. I am no longer a servant. I am a son, a daughter of God. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. Say this with me. God decided it. God declared it. God will do it. It is done. Amen. I want to encourage you in this, and we're going to open up the altar for anybody that needs to come here now and, and receive prayer because this message related to you. and You need to trust God's process. Job 23 and 10 says, But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he's tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Not only does God have a plan for your life, but he has a way for you to take. And he's well acquainted with every way that you take. He's well acquainted with everything you're going to go through along the way. He knows what he said concerning you. And he knows how he's going to get you there. Be assured in that. He knows how he's going to get you there. and You have to trust him with that. I want you to be encouraged in this that you are alive today because of a promise that God spoke over your life. You were a thought in God's mind before you were a life in the earth. God spoke a promise over you and he allows sometimes in those barren seasons, I want to just quote this really quick. I know we probably pressed for time. The musicians have started playing saying, sit down, shut up. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry, Mina. My daughter don't like it. She probably heard me if I said shut up, y'all. She, she, I'm surprised she didn't yell out and say, you can't say shut up. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3 says, All the commandments I, I command thee this day, you shall observe to do that. You may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sweareth unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee 
and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know. This is the part that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. I want to want to say this to that end. You don't just live by what satisfies your temporary appetite. You think that you need money and you think that you need another job and you need a car and you need a person. But God says you need a word. It is, it is the word of God over your life that ultimately sustains you. Not any material possession that you can have because when it's all said and done, it says heaven and earth will pass away and all of its material possessions. But you live by the word of God that is spoken over your life. We're going to open the altar right now. There may be some of you in here that say, I desire prayer in this area. This word spoke to me. And I've been having problems, honestly, understanding the promise of God, coming to terms with the promise of God. And I just need somebody to come into agreement. I need assurance. Maybe you're in that same place that Abraham's in and you say, I'm fearful because I might know what God is calling me to do, but I don't know how to move out on that. Or I'm scared to move out on that because of what that might mean for me, what that might cost me. I'm scared because I feel limited in my abilities. If that is you, we open the altar up and we want to pray for you. So we invite you to come down to the altar at this moment. And don't be scared. Don't be prideful. Don't be prideful. You might just miss your breakthrough operating in pride. So if that is you and this word is speaking to you and you say, I need somebody to pray with me to come into agreement with the plan and the purpose of God over my life. I invite you to make your way to the altar. And we have people who are going to to pray for you if that is not you I invite you to close your eyes and we're going to pray really quick Father God we thank you for this word Lord we thank you for your promises we thank you for that your promises are great we thank you Lord God that your promises far exceed even what we can do even what we can ask even what we can think we thank you Lord God that you stand faithful to perform that which you have said and we thank you now, Lord God, that you are confirming your plans and your purposes, Lord God, in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, that you are eradicating, you're speaking your word that is eradicating all fear and all doubt in our hearts. And we declare in this moment, Lord God, that you are Abba, that you are our Father, that you are all-sufficient, Lord God, that you are all-knowing, that in you we have everything that we need. We have everything that we need. And you are faithful to provide for us. Father, we will pursue the future. We will pursue what you have for us with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our strength. We make ourselves available to you now. We say, Lord God, have your way. Come on, just lift your hands in this place and say, have your way. Have your way, Lord God. Have your way. Come on, make that, make that confession of your heart. Lord, have your way. Open up your hearts in this place. Lord, have your way, Lord God, in our hearts. Lord God, have your way in our lives, Lord God. We want your will over whatever we want, Lord God. We want you to do in, in our lives, Lord God, what glorifies you. Praise Team Sung and Early said, all I want is for you to be glorified, for you to be lifted high, God. Let, let your name be made great in this place, Lord God. Let your name be made great in this place, Lord God. 
So we thank you, Lord God, for all that you're doing. We thank you, Lord God, for the fact that your word is sure and for the fact that if you have spoken it, that you are faithful to perform it. We thank you, Lord God, right now because it is done, it is established, and it is settled in the earth. In your name we pray. Come on, give God a hand of praise. Give God a hand of praise. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.